This is episode number 32 with Sarah Witten. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle, and thank you for joining me today. I have such a fun and interesting show for you. I brought on Sarah Witten, who has a background as a professional singer and for over 18 years has experienced teaching voice with 13 years on the Holden Voice faculty at Harvard University. Now, Sarah and I talk about so many cool areas dealing with the voice, but what I thought was going to be a conversation to ask questions like, hey, can anyone learn how to sing, which we do cover, it became a much more thoughtful and deeper conversation about how to find your fearless voice, because our voices are how we express who we are in the world. Now, Sarah, who holds an MA in vocal pedagogy, which she'll define for us, explains how she came upon this work and how yoga helps connect her to her true voice and how that informed why she decided to go out on her own to teach professional singers how to access this. Now, the good news is that you do not need to be a singer to gain the wisdom from today's conversation. I think you're going to find it super interesting. We get into the difference between how men and women are perceived by their voice and so many other cool areas dealing with the voice. So if you enjoy hearing people sing, if you've always wondered if you can sing, if you want to own your power as a woman and find your fearless voice, then you're going to love today's conversation. So let's get on into the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here with you. I'm so excited to have you on because you do something I think is so interesting, and that's going to be interesting to all of the women listening because we all have voices, and I think all of us wish we could sing. I mean, really <laughs> sing. I'm sure you hear this all the time. So can you take a minute to introduce yourself? Tell us your little bit about your journey and what it is that you do today. Sure. So I got my start, as a lot of people do, singing in musicals in high school. And I sang in the choir, and I didn't really know that I could do anything different from what an average person could do until I walked into my first audition. And without realizing it, I didn't wait for the piano to give me the note. I just sang. And the conductor was like, where have you been? This was in high school. Um, And so that kind of set me off onto singing, but I actually went to college and studied English. And it wasn't until my senior year, not all of my study away credits were accepted back. And the dean called me in and said, hey, you're not going to graduate if you don't uh, get enough credits. And I thought, what would be easy? voice lessons would be easy. So again, I, I kind of walked in and said, I'm here to take voice lessons. And I sang for them. And they said, where have you been for four years? Um, and that sort of set me on this path of 
realizing that the universe kept bringing singing back around to me mm. until I paid attention to it. And I, I started taking lessons in earnest really after I finished my undergrad degree mm. and eventually went off to graduate school thinking I wanted to be a voice researcher. And I studied um, pedagogy and focused on rehabilitating the injured singing voice. And then I got invited to stay for a third year to do a master's in performance. Mm. And so I did that. And along the way, a friend invited me to go to a yoga class. And I went. And right after that first yoga class, I went and had a voice lesson. And I thought, gosh, how am I going to sing? Because I'm a wet noodle. Like, I, I have nothing. And I walked into my voice lesson and about 10 minutes in, my teacher stopped and said, what did you do right before you came here? And I'm like, oh, I went to yoga. She's like, you need to do more of that. And wow. I wasn't a wet noodle. I was relaxed in a way that I actually had never experienced before. And so right away, I started pulling things out of yoga that were beneficial to me um, in my voice work, not just the relaxation, but the better understanding of breathing, as well as using elements like visualization and meditation to manage my performance anxiety. Um, and I kind of continued on that path for about a decade before I had my own family. Mm -hmm. When I had my second child in the car on the way home from the hospital, my entire back seized up. Oh and I had had years of sort of low-level constant injuries, as many mm. people do. You know, my neck kind of hurt, my SI joint kind of hurt, and I'd have a hip problem. That all really exploded is the best way I can describe it mm. after having him. And I spent the first two weeks flat on my back, unable to care for my then three-year-old oh, or my newborn. God. And I really, at that point, I thought I was broken. And mm. I, you know, I wasn't performing because I, I couldn't get up and do anything. And um, I felt like I was a certified yoga teacher at that point. I felt a lot of shame. But eventually, I kind of put my big girl undies on and decided that I wasn't going to be broken. I wasn't willing to accept that. And I had enough knowledge to get started. And what I needed was to find people who could see the whole me and work with me. Mm. So I found that and I found some new movement modalities that I began to study in depth. And, and through that process, really put together an understanding of the body that I found just missing from the voice world. And the more I began to bring it into my work, the more I saw people's voices changing, the more people began to come to me to say, hey, I feel broken too. Um, the more I found... Um, singers who were functioning at a high level yet holding this side of themselves back and feeling ashamed about it. Mm. And so eventually I was at that point, I was on the faculty at Harvard and I was teaching voice to undergrads and grads in the choral program there. And about three years ago, um, I found that this other work had become very meaningful for me and very fulfilling. And I had, you know, a young family and am the primary parent as many moms are. Mm. Um, and decided to leave that university job and just launch my own business and mm -hmm. do this work exclusively um, at this point out of my home. Um, and the rest, as they say, is history. Wow. So there's so much to unpack there and that yeah. I find so interesting. Do me one favor, define what pedagogy is, because I'm not familiar with that term. Uh, pedagogy is the study of the theory of teaching. 
So I went to school to learn how to be a voice teacher, essentially. Uh, okay, that's helpful. Um, this idea of being broken, I'd love to dive into this a little bit more because I think that our voices are, you know, it's there's there's such vulnerability, especially when we're singing or thinking about using it in a way, whether we're teaching, giving a talk, there's a vulnerability around our voice. And it's interesting because I can even see with my daughter who would sing at the top of her lungs anytime. I think all children do this and it's such a beautiful thing. And my guess, and you would be able to speak to this more, is that their breath is really fluid and they breathe correctly and through their diaphragm or, and you can correct me if that's not correct, um, but my understanding of it. And so, but then as they get older, then there's more self, they're more self-aware of their voice. And so she's 10. And I think this is the age where it starts. And I think that many of us have had experiences when we were younger, where someone critiqued our voice because most of us have done some sort of school play. I know you said you auditioned in high school, but my guess is you did something in elementary school. And I can't tell you how many people have told me, uh, I was told I can't sing, so I stopped. Yeah, you know, there is a lot to unpack there. And I think I, I likewise have a daughter who's just about 10 years old, and I see those changes happening as well. And and you're right that we do, There's it only takes one adult making an offhanded remark that becomes, um, in yoga, we would call it a samskara, like a scar on you. And those layers accumulate over the course of our lives. And you don't have to look far to find um, critiques of women women's voices in the media. You know, anytime a woman runs for any position of anything, one of the mm -hmm. first things that people will comment on is how she sounds. And you can't you can't escape that. So I think it's the voice is one of the most highly innervated places in the body, and so it is the fundamental way that we communicate who we are and how we are in the world. You know, everyone has had the experience of being a child and you hear your mom say your full name from the other room and you know <laughs> that you are in a crap ton of trouble because of the way that she said your voice. Right. You don't have to see someone to know, mm. you know, how they feel. Our voices communicate that. And so it becomes, um, I think as those layers accumulate over our lives of those experiences of not being fully accepted for who we are, or you're, I think very often girls especially are told that they are too loud. They are mm -hmm. too much. They are too bossy. And, and that, so then we start to hold inside who we are and we aren't expressing ourselves fully. And, um, I know for me, when I crossed the um, mark of being 40, it was like all that stuff started to kind of unravel for me a little mm -hmm. bit. And I wasn't willing to sort of say, oh, yeah, I'm not enough. And I'm not all of those things and be like, I, this is me. <laughs> You're going to get all of me now. So I think that it's very common for women to feel that way. And, and we do um, internalize it as being broken in some way. I think for me, the, the brokenness felt much more physical. Um, and having to do with the fact that my body felt like it didn't function. It felt like it had betrayed me in a way that here I had, you know, created these two children and yet I was unable to care for them. So I think we all have our own version of that. And a lot of it has to do with mm, the stories that we are told and that we continue to tell ourselves. Yeah. And it's interesting because I know you work with professional singers and I would imagine that even though they are professionals, they're still self-doubt and 
self-consciousness around how they sound, even though people would love to be able to sing like them. Is that true? Absolutely. I don't think that a single professional singer has walked through my doors and not um, communicated that they feel a level of imposter syndrome Mm. and that they have been sort of quote unquote faking it. And they've hit a point where they feel like they can't fake it anymore. They want to address those issues that they perceive as holding them back. So Sarah, I know a lot of your work is is centered around helping people find their true voice. So let's talk from big picture at 30,000 feet. So let's just define voice from your perspective in the work that you do, and then how you actually help them reconnect and claim that voice without feeling broken. Mm, that's a, that's a big question. <laughs> I know. Take it how, take it wherever it feels right to you. You know, I think the people that I'm working with, um, have come through a pretty high level of training. Um, and they are, at the professional level, meaning that they are being hired and paid for what they're doing. And this is likely a good portion of their income, if not all of it. It's I'll put a caveat in, it's very challenging to make your entire income being a performer, but there are people out there who do that. Um, and so I think that, that we all have this Um, The idea of voice, as I mentioned, is this idea of yourself, of your being. And and for a singer, this is like how they communicate who they are to the world through the music that they are sharing with people. And when I'm working with them, my vehicle is the body and the sounds that they're producing but I am well aware, and I think they frequently become aware that it's about so much more than that. It is about the emotional, it's about the mental, it's about those stories that they have been told. And you know, one of the one of the things that I almost always say in an initial session at the end is just notice in this next week. Let's say someone has come to me with their low back bothering them. I've given them the physical movements to do. And I'll say, just notice in this coming week, when does your back flare up and bother you? Mm. And more often than not, they'll come back and say, oh, you know, my partner and I had this really difficult conversation about finances. And right after that, I could feel that my back was kind of grabby. Mm. So we can't deny that there is always a mental emotional component to the state of our bodies and to the state of our voices. And as we Again, I'm not a therapist, so I don't go into the mental emotional with them that way, but our vehicle is the body. And it's very common for people who work with me to have some kind of an emotional response that results in a flood of tears. You know, like Mm -hmm. I keep tissues in my (laughs) workspace Mm -hmm. always for people and allowing that energy to leave the body is is a very much a part of the healing process to move beyond feeling broken and back into a sense of wholeness in who you are. Yeah, um, as I'm listening, it, it just makes me think about how our voice is connected to our soul. It's mm. it's an expression, like you said, of who we are. And nothing, you know, if we're angry, you hear that. Just as you mentioned, you get called by your full name versus, you know, Sarah, come. No, it's Sarah Witten, come here now. Yeah. And yeah. if we're scared, you hear it. If you're going to, you know, if somebody's out there and they give talks, there can be that nervousness and the tightness. I know when my daughter was in the NICU, I remember my husband saying he put his arm on my shoulder and he says, 
he said, Michelle, you have such a beautiful voice and take a breath. You, you, you know, just he was trying to help ground me because I was so anxious and sad that everything was so tight that I didn't mm. even sound like myself. And the fact that he noticed and what he called out was my voice, yeah. um, you know, so tell us about the work that you do, though, because on your website, it says you connect the body with the breath and the voice. So how is what you do different than a regular voice specialist? Because you really, you consider yourself a movement specialist. So tell us more about mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I think a lot of it is that I do take the kind of 30,000 foot approach of looking at the whole person and not just listening to the sounds that are coming out of their mouths. Um, so my, my putting together of that is, you know, the, the, the power source for the voice is your breath. So if you aren't breathing well, you're probably not going to be producing sounds. And, and in many cases, in a voice lesson, a teacher might talk about the breath, you know, in the first lesson, and then they kind of leave it behind. And my goal is not to tell someone that there's a right or wrong way to breathe for singing. It's that I want them to be breathing in a way that facilitates the kind of sound that they want to make. And there's a suppleness that needs to exist in particularly in the torso so that breathing becomes a whole torso event. And we know that the nervous system is so intimately connected to the breath that when you get nervous or you have some sort of emotional holding going on, the breath is the first thing that gets impacted. So the first, one of the first steps that we always take is to find a way to breathe that has a sense of ease, because that is going to shift your nervous system. It's going to shift your pain levels. It's going to shift your mental state. It's like hitting the reset button on your body. Um, so we do that kind of work and then we get into, you know, I might have someone rolling their feet on a ball or stretching their calves that one of my fundamental beliefs in the way that I've been trained and what I've seen play out in so many hundreds of voices is that there are cross-body connections. And mm -hmm. though it seems like it's far away from the voice, your calf muscle can absolutely be impacting what's happening in your neck. Wait, your calf muscle? Mm-hmm. Say more about that. That's <laughs> so curious you, to me. I just, I'm trying to understand how that's yeah, connected. Yeah, so if you think about, think about looking at waves in the ocean mm. and the waves before they come to shore, the ocean is sort of moving at a level pace. And as the ground rises to reach the shore, the bottom of the wave slows down because it's hitting that rising landmass, and the top of the wave ends up propelled by it. And so it eventually crests and crashes over. So the same thing is happening when we don't have good mobility, like in our ankles and our calf muscles are short. When we're walking, our upper body is actually being propelled forward, but we are, we're working hard to stay upright because we don't want to crash over and fall on our face. So we're generating extra tension in our upper body to stay upright. So when we find some um, fluidity and ease in those lower leg muscles and joints, it's reflected in more fluidity and ease in the upper body. So how are you incorporating yoga at this point? So what are you doing with your students? It must be different things based on your experience. It is. I would say that for me, I will always consider myself a yoga teacher because yoga very much informs sort of how I live and how I interact with people. I describe a lot of the physical work that I do as being sort of off the mat and out of the voice box <laughs> that mm. some of it may look like yoga. A lot of it might not because even something as seemingly simple as down dog 
to do the pose with ease and the way that we would like it to be done might be beyond the scope of what someone can do, but I could break down like the arm position into a way that we could work on their shoulder tension. And eventually they might do down dog, though that might not matter if they ever did, but we can get the benefits of it by breaking down the pose and sort of deconstructing it into a way that then helps their body. So what did you notice for yourself or that you've seen in your students? So you said that you did yoga, you went to a voice lesson, the teacher mm-hmm. was like, what did you do? Do more of that. It obviously made you aware of how important it is to connect to your body and to be relaxed mm-hmm. to get that vocal quality that you're seeking and to be connected to your true voice so that it comes out in the way that's truly an expression of yourself. So tell us more about your story and how that unfolded for you and then how you've seen it play into your students' lives as well. So... um in terms of the people that I work with, it's very common that towards the end of the first or second session, we start to hear a very different sound coming from them. And the goal is to work them to a place where that sound becomes what they make when they begin. That I'll give you an example of, I worked with a tenor this year who even his speaking voice sounded sort of tight and, and higher. Like um, we talk about voices as being like a pair of speakers that you can have a lot of tweeter or a lot of woofer. And we want to balance. We want your voice to be balanced like a speaker. And he had a lot of tweeter in his sound because he was a higher voice and sort of naturally had that. But as we worked and, and addressed things like his low back pain, um, it's like the musculature would drop in a way that then he suddenly had some woofer in his sound and it was much more balanced and there was so much more ease in it. But he had been trying to solve all of that through vocal technique. Mm. And it just, it'll get you so far and then it just wasn't working. Um, For me, I think my, one of the primary places that was such a problem was my neck. And that was what, you know, really blew up after giving birth. But what I learned was that it was really my, I, I was someone who was very flexible but that meant that I was very weak in some places and actually very tight in some places, but I had these really flexible places around that. So I, I was the person who went to yoga and thought, this is no problem. What, you know, what's the issue? But what I needed was to find better balance and strength in places like my, I I had a very quote unquote, strong core before having children. But what I had was a lot of patterns of compensation and bracing because I had done a lot of crunches and stuff like that. And the deep part of my core wasn't working the way that it needed to, to support my upper body or even help my pelvic floor function. And if we want to get really sort of and it's not even woo. It's it's we know that there's a connection. There's a huge connection between the function of your pelvic floor and the function of your throat. They often mirror each other. So particularly for women, you'll hear it in a woman who's just given birth that her voice could be a little breathy and she has a hard time getting good closure of her cords. And that's a reflection of a pelvic floor that's just gone through a pretty big event, you know, to to birth a child. So I I worked on essentially kind of rebuilding my body because it was, it felt so broken open. And, and, and of course for a long time that felt very traumatic. And then I learned to be a student of my body and get curious and explore. And, and actually now as an almost 46 year old, I have a body that functions and feels so much better than it did anytime between the ages of 16 and 36. Wow. So is it through yoga though, or is it through a combination of things? 
It's a whole combination. I mean, I sort of have my own, uh, I hesitate to call it a method because I feel like as soon as you say method, you're locked into one way of doing things. And I very much have a very liberal, if I learn something new, I'm going to pull it in. Um, but, but it's, I've learned that yoga is, it's a complete practice in the sense that it addresses your body, your mind, your soul. It's an incomplete practice in that it's a, it's just as repetitious as going for a run. There's in, and your body will acclimate to what you're doing, and then it stops being challenged. So you can do yoga, but you need to find ways to continue to make yoga challenging for your body by maybe adding um, an external weight or moving things in a slightly different way. And moving beyond this idea that there's a really correct, quote unquote, correct way to do a pose, and that there are multiple ways to do a pose, and your body is going to respond to all of those inputs positively. So I, I do do yoga. I go to the gym and I lift weights. Um, I have two dogs. I walk my dogs every morning. Um, and it's not that I have a body that never hurts. I am not superhuman. <laughs> I am a four, almost 46 year old woman. I have there, you know, it's just, there's life happening here. Um, but I've learned to not freak out when those things happen. And I've learned to, you know, as I said, be a student of my body and get curious and, um, and, and just allow things to be where they are. Know that everything, as long as you're alive, tissues can change. It will change. So does somebody need to work with someone like you in order to find this connection to their voice and their body? You know, I'm thinking of the women listening and myself included thinking, oh, I'd like to feel how you feel. So what, <laughs> can you give us a tip to, you know, as a first place to start, to at least even create awareness in our body? Yeah, you know, I think... Uh, the the one thing that I will say is a method that I commit to is um, a three-part process of awareness, skill building, and mastery. So the more you can just be curious and, you know, be aware, let's say you're going to go to the gym and maybe your first step is just noticing how do you feel after you go? How do you feel before? Then you go and you exercise and how do you feel after? Or how do you feel after you've sat at your desk for an entire day working Maybe that information could inspire you to say, oh, I'm going to set a timer on my phone so that every hour I get up and I walk around. And that might be the first step towards changing the way your body feels and changing the way your voice functions. So what do you see when somebody comes to see you? So if I had come in for a voice lesson, I'm obviously mm -hmm. not a professional singer, but let's pretend. Yeah. <laughs> what? what? Because <laughs> that's a fun thing to pretend. Um, so what would you be looking at? Is it the way I'm standing? Would you be listening to my voice? Even now, of course, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm teasing you a little bit, but I'm thinking, what does what is Sarah hearing in my voice right now? Um, <laughs> what are you looking for? So the first thing that I do is a whole bunch of assessments. And we always, I always begin by asking someone to sing something that they feel like represents the issue that they're experiencing. Because if we want to make a somatic shift, we need a baseline. And that gives us a baseline. And then I, I put them into alignment using a series of bony markers in the body, which is something I learned um, from Katie Bowman, who teaches something called um, nutritious movement. Um, and she's a fabulous resource for moms who are looking to heal their bodies after birth. Um, so I sort of uh, extrapolated from what she used to pick nine points. So I align your body and then that gives me a picture of what's going on. And we, it gives me a, 
it's a tool for talking with you about what you're experiencing. Cause I can have a mirror and have you see your own body or I'll take a picture and say, okay, let's talk about this. It's not a rule by any means. You don't have to be in perfect alignment to experience um, positive changes in your voice. And then from there, we move on to do some assessments of breathing to talk about the breath. Um, we might even, I might even ask you to sing again while you're in alignment, mm -hmm. because that's also, um, I kind of view all these things. It's like, you're coming into my Petri dish and we're having experiments <laughs> that we're running. Um, so then we move on to, I ask people to identify what they want to work on most. And I think it's really important in that initial session to, try to help them with that issue. Even if I identify that something else is a bigger issue, I want them to feel like they're getting what they need. And so we try to I come up with some things that address that issue and then we'll sing again. So we kind of, we move in and out of, we might do two movements, sing again, two movements, sing again. And we'll pick just a short passage of music so that we can continually understand what is happening and not be dealing with new notes and new rhythms and all of that. Um, so that's pretty much that's pretty much how I work in an initial session with someone. So are you actually seeing the tension in their body or are you asking them to go in and tell you where it is or a combination? Um I definitely am seeing it, but one of the my goals for them because I can't be with them all the time and mm. and I need to work myself out of a job with each client um <laughs> is I need them to begin to feel. And I think that is the biggest challenge whether you are a singer or not is learning to feel on all levels. I'm mostly talking about physical, but it's again, it's going to intersect with that emotional and mental side again. So I ask a lot of questions and I'll say, how did that feel? How does your back feel now? What do you notice? And for most of them, that is like running up against a brick wall. And they, they just have, we aren't raised to do much feeling um, of our bodies or of our emotions. And so working through that and helping them or allowing space for them to develop a language that tells, allows them to discuss how it feels is huge because then when they're practicing on their own, or if they're, you know, I have a lot of um, people I work with who travel and perform. So when they're on the other side of the country singing a Brahms Requiem, they have their language and their tools without me needing to be with them so they can explore things when they come up. It's it's so interesting to me. And, and so I know that you had written into Gretchen Rubin's podcast. And is it her yeah. sister? Is she Elizabeth? Yeah. Okay. And so um, I thought it was curious. So, so Elizabeth read an email you sent in, which yep. you noted that she, you detected that she had acid reflux. And she said, I isn't something I tell people often, but it's true that she could, it's amazing <laughs> that she detected this in my voice. So wh what, what are you hearing? What is it? And is it, does she have vocal fry? Is that what it's called? Vocal fry? So, yeah, I was, I was very frustrated on her behalf because when the podcast started, she shared that she was getting really critical feedback from people about the quality of her voice. Oh, and I wow. thought, you know, I don't want to say curse words on your um, podcast, but I probably said a few curse words to myself and thought, once again, here's a woman oh. being brought under fire for the quality of her voice and oh. no one's listening to what she says. And so I wrote to reach out and say, hey, I've heard you talk about this. Here are the things that I'm hearing in your voice. And what I heard was some huskiness in the sound, a yeah. low pitch. She was using some fry in the sound. And I said, you know, here, is a, here are some of the things that could be causing that. Um, 
one of which is persistent acid reflux that's coming up. Everyone has acid reflux. It's normal. when It's when it comes up over and into your larynx. It only takes a couple episodes before your voice starts to be affected. Mm. And I listed some of the um, hallmarks of it of being, you know, hoarse, feeling like you need to clear your throat all the time, a sort of globus sensation in the throat, mm. bad taste in your mouth in the morning. And um, you know, and, and she read my email and she was like, yeah, I've asked reflex. And she wrote back to me and she was so grateful that Aww. someone had taken the time to not just be critical, but to say, maybe there's something going on and maybe there's something you can do about it. Yeah. So can you define for people, cause I hadn't heard of Fry before until we were corresponding and then I actually mm. Googled it and there was curiously a couple of you, more than a couple of YouTube conversation you know people talking about yeah. this one had 1.5 million views it was a woman <laughs> talking about vocal yeah. fry and um can you define what it is and how women are how for because this is the other thing i learned men who have vocal fry or use it their salary increases as a result mm -hmm. and women are penal yeah. penalized so let's tell us about this so vocal fry, it's probably easiest if I give you an example of what it sounds like. Yeah, please. It's when you kind of talk this way and there's a little bit of rasp in the voice. It sounds kind of gravelly. It's become a very common way of speaking. It's something I saw all the time in my undergrads at Harvard. And the reality is it's not doing any damage to your voice. However, it's another one of those places that Research is showing women get penalized when they speak that way. And there's one study that I read that talks about um, you're less likely to be hired if you're a female and you use vocal fry. It's simply a way of configuring the vocal cords inside such that they aren't vibrating very regularly and airflow is a little bit um, irregular as well. Um, but it's a place that the world has latched on to to say, ooh, this is bad or you're bad if you use it. Um, but in there, you know, if you turn on NPR at any given moment and listen, lots of the hosts are speaking with vocal fry. It's harder to detect in a male voice because it's done at a low pitch. Many women are speaking lower than they normally would. Like that's lower than my normal speaking voice. But by choice or some people naturally have vocal fry, don't they? And then some, because I think in one of them they were talking about, I think it was Kim Kardashian. Yeah. And so then it became a mirroring of that. And there was a trend happening with women yeah. 18 to 25 Right. manipulating their voice. So they're not using their true voice. They're trying to sound yeah. like Kim Kardashian. Right. So, right. Yeah. I think that I think it's a very um, unconscious choice to do it. They're not necessarily sitting down and saying, "How can I sound like Kim Kardashian and therefore become a mogul of this, that, and the other thing?" <laughs> right. right? I mean, maybe a few people are doing that, but I think it just—it's—it's it's, to me, it's almost the equivalent of the 1980s um, upspeak and Valley Girl talk. Oh yeah. So it's sort of just the modern version of that that's out there for women. And of course, women got criticized, you know, for that happening too. So it's not, um, it, it isn't, it isn't what I would say is your true voice because you're not speaking in a way that you're standing in your power. You lose the ability to be expressive when you're locked into a very small range, meaning pitch wise, like you're speaking at a relatively low pitch and you can't, you just can't be expressive like that. Um, but the, the flip side of that is people who, women, who 
seek to be expressive and authoritative, they get killed for being shrill or for being harsh Mm. or for sounding like they're yelling. And once again, you know, we can look at examples that I know that there are articles out there um, based on whatever your politics are. Hillary Clinton um, in her first run, not her second run, um, when she was going against Obama, there were lots of articles about how she sounded too Mm. sort of shrill. They called her shrillery, right? And her message was lost. And as I listened, I thought, gosh, we just need to get her breath moving a little bit more. Mm. Um, Everyone needs you, Sarah. We all need you. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's it's really it's just tough to be a woman and communicate in our world. No one wants to listen. <laughs> okay, but you know what? It's changing. So why don't for the women listening, because this show is for women, for those who mm-hmm. want to be standing in their power to be taken seriously when they're speaking, what tip could you give? What advice could you give to them about how they can own their voice and communicate in a way where they don't have to manipulate it in a yep. way that sounds more masculine to be seen as, you know, because yeah. that's, that's, a, yeah. that is a, that is a pattern that I did notice. It's, mm-hmm. I, I'm a huge believer in owning your femininity and having power yes. in the feminine. Absolutely. There is, um, I think women have tied themselves in knots trying to fit into the male concept of power. Mm. And I do think we are at a point in our world where we are beginning to watch a massive shift to embracing feminine power. And I'm all in favor of that. And I'm sure the listeners are too. Yeah. So I would say one of the, one of the easiest things that you could do is ask someone to ask you a question where you give an unconscious answer of, "Uh uh-huh, like if I say to you, are we recording a podcast today? And you respond with, uh-huh. 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 Right there where you said that, that's yeah. probably your optimal speaking pitch. So it's not that I don't want you to go out and speak in a monotone, but if we identified that uh-huh. on a piano, let's say it's middle C, which tends to be a good pitch for a lot of women. Yeah. Um, C, be natural or B flat. We would want to average out all the pitches that you use and have it end up at a C and not be way down here where you feel like, oh, I'm trying to tap into this powerful, low voice or way up here where no one's going to want to listen to you. Like there's, you know, there's um, just sort of a range of notes that give you the opportunity to then speak in a way that I want people to speak in a way where no one gets to call into question how they sound because you've taken away those barriers from them. So finding just that, that optimal pitch, just with the unconscious, uh uh-huh, and there will be exceptions. There will be some women who have, you know, naturally lower voices. For many women, post-menopause, when estrogen lessens, the pitch of the voice is going to drop anyway. Um, but, you know, moving from there into just some simple, like, humming on that pitch, like, hmm, hmm, mm-hmm, hmm, mm-hmm, hmm, yeah. And then you move into speaking. There, there are all kinds of great sentences. That it sounds like you're um, chanting Dr. Seuss type of things, but <laughs> things, um, you know, if you're going to use a, a pitch where you're going to say, hmm, Mary made me mad. Hmm, Marvin made me marry. Those types of things where you get a, a lot of um, M sounds that are going to help you feel tingling on your lips, those types of things. It just, it sets you up for using your voice in a way that you're sort of casting off that other, um, the other pitches that really aren't your authentic sound. Mm. And what about women? So I'm thinking, so some of them are entrepreneurs. They may be doing YouTube videos. They may be podcasting like I am. I know when I first started, and it was 
funny. The very first interview I did was with a good friend of mine. And I told him, I'm like, I don't know why, but I'm nervous and it's you. But it was my very first one. And um, the sound quality, I think, came out fine and my voice settled, but I could feel the nerves. So what advice do you give? Because breath is important. Mm -hmm. So how do you manage the breath when you feel your voice kind of rising up and you want to just bring it back to its natural place? Yeah, you know, here we come back to the connection to the pelvic floor. And if you can um, imagine that you're going to release all the muscles of your pelvic floor and your low belly on the breath in, there's a corresponding drop that happens in the throat. And it's, it's the equivalent of what we in yoga or in other realms would talk about an abdominal breath. Mm. Well, and so, it's not... Oh, sorry. Pelvic floor is what exactly? So all the, if you think about the base of your, um, the bottom of your pelvis, like the very bottom of your abdomen, all the muscles that are running between the, um, the uh, diamond shape of the bottom of your pelvis, where we call the sit bones, those mm -hmm. bony things that you can sometimes feel when you sit and then the pubic bone in the front and the tailbone in the back. So it kind of makes a diamond shape and the muscles that weave together, they're like a sling. It's the place where so many women have issues post childbirth with yeah. leakage and right. prolapse and those types of things, those muscles in there are the ones connected to the throat. So when you can take a breath that allows all of that to relax and the, and the rib cage can actually move, you can connect into a sound that is not like reflective mm -hmm. of, okay, I'm just breathing really high and shallow. And, and you know, it's like your, it, your nervous system runs away with you there. Okay. That's really, it's, that's really helpful. So I have to ask a question that everyone's going to be wondering, can anyone sing with correct coach with coaching? Can anyone get out there and, or do some people have an ear for music? I mean, it's just like with any vocation, I guess, sure. but I'm curious. Yeah. You know, I think the, the simple answer is yes. Anyone can sing. If the really, you know, people talk about being tone deaf, you really have to have a condition called amusia where you would be talking in a total monotone and not able to tell the difference between a high pitch and a low pitch. If not, it's really a cognitive roadmap in your brain that has either been formed or not formed. So if as probably even as in the state of being a fetus and a young child, the more music that you heard or the more singing that might've happened around you, the more that roadmap gets mm, formed. That makes sense. You know, so it, it's really... But our brains, we now know so much about neuroplasticity and how much our brains can change that you could come to me as a 40-year-old and say, I've never sung before and I want to sing. I'm not saying it's going to be easy necessarily. And I'm not saying you're going to go off and have a career at the Met if you're getting started <laughs> at age 40. But if your goal is like, I want to be able to sing around the house or I want to sing in my church choir or, you know, mm -hmm. someone who's older, I want to sing with my grandchildren. Those kind of goals are absolutely attainable. And, you know, you just find a local voice teacher to work with and you'll get there. Yeah, I think that's so great. And also as somebody who does do voice lessons just for the pure enjoyment of it, it's a way to connect to your true voice and it challenges you to connect mm -hmm. to your true voice because you can see where you're holding, where you need to release. Yeah. You you become self-conscious when you think anyone else can hear other than your teacher, you know, so it's, it's, it forces you to awaken to yourself. So, um, yeah. it's nice to hear how you, you put it though, that with some coaching that they could have the enjoyment of it in the way that society 
views it, right? Yeah. And I think uh, the way that I've come to look at those things is that if you have the inclination that you want to do it, you really should listen to that yeah. because there it is, it is, as you say, it's about so much more than just the singing that there's always that other level yeah. that you tap into and you walk out. And if nothing else, you're exchanging a great deal of oxygen. And that makes us feel good when we do that because we're releasing all kinds of hormones. So totally. it's all positive. It's true. And I find myself laughing with my teacher all the time. So it's, it's just a nice, it's just a nice experience. Um, so you mentioned, uh, I think it was Katie Bowman. Um, mm-hmm. The Nutritious Movement. Are there any other resources that you want to mention on developing voice or supporting your body? Gosh, um, there probably are more than I could come up with in a moment. Um, in terms of your body, you know, I think most people, I think we do best if we can simply tap into our intuition that, you know, if you're like, I want to go to a yoga class or I want to go to a gym class if you can really listen to your gut when you're there about whether this is beneficial for your body or not beneficial, that's the best thing that you can do. I think that that was what I was missing for so long was learning to really trust my own intuition about Mm -hmm. it. And when I started to do that, it got better. Um, I think, you know, there are certainly people out there who are better than others. Um, at teaching and that doesn't mean that if one class at the gym isn't great that you shouldn't go to another one um in terms of the voice there's an organization called the national association of teachers of singing and they have a database that you could look through for voice teachers um you know if someone local is thinking okay I'm listening to this podcast and it's my time. I am going to sign up for those voice lessons I've always wanted to take, you know, reaching out to just Googling that organization. The acronym is NATS um, and finding someone there or getting in touch with a local college and just seeing there's almost always going to be people on the faculty teaching voice lessons, whether it's um, in a performance degree setting or just as a, you know, an adjunct situation. But most of those people have private studios and work with people, mm. you know, and finding someone that way to, um, to get yourself started. Um, Sarah, before we wrap up, we'll ask you if you can leave the women listening with your three best tips to own her true voice? Hmm. I would say tip number one is to really own your genius work. If you can own what you are really good at, that's a great place to start. I think learning to live without apology would be my second tip. Because when you stop apologizing for being yourself, you're stepping into a pretty big place of power. And I think my third tip would be to begin to speak without shame. You know, that there are a lot of things that women have kept, we've kept to ourselves over the years. And I think we are at a point where it is time to begin to speak our truth to the world and know that there is community out there that will hear it, that will embrace it, and that will be better for it. So I think that those those would probably be the top three things that I think women can do and, and be, uh, you know, opening up their voices. And that was so powerful. I really felt everything you said I, <laughs> on a deeper level. So thank you. That was really great. Um, where can people, and I know you work with professional singers, but if people are curious and want to learn more about you and your yeah. work, where can I direct them? 
Um, they can head to my website, which is just sarahwitten.com. Um, I'm, you know, I'm on Instagram as the vocal yogi. If they, oh. I do, I do post a Monday move almost every Monday oh, nice. that is usually some short kind of, um, it's usually a challenge for your core. So, and anyone, I mean, anyone can do those types of moves. Um, and I'm, you know, I have a business page on Facebook, um, of Sarah Witten voice in yoga, but you know, I'm, my general motto is I love connecting with people. I'm a big extrovert. And, you know, so if people wanted to reach out even to say, I'm probably not the person to work with you, but you know, I, I'm a big believer in referring people on to connect them with the person who can help them. So I'm, I'm happy to be that person too. Oh, that's so great. Thank you so much. This has been so interesting and a lot of fun too. Um, Thank you. Very enlightening. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Today's conversation left me feeling so inspired. If you know of somebody who would enjoy this information, please take a second to share it. And remember that the show notes can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash zero three two for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I so appreciate your time and I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.